This is Sovereign Independent Radio on UWS Community Radio and the International Community Radio Network. Breaking the truth. Uh, welcome back to Sovereign Independent Radio. Um, we're talking to Alan Watts of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and I would encourage all listeners to go there uh, and listen to Alan's podcast. He does five days a week. Um, for listeners in the UK, you can you can download it uh, the morning after, and uh, he puts all the links up there for his his information to to you know prove the facts he's talking about, and backs it up with uh, references to numerous uh, books, old, new, uh, historical, all the rest of it, and um, I think you'll find it very informative uh, and at times quite frightening. I think uh, Alan will agree. Um, we were talking during the break there about the the control of the food supply and the fact that, uh, well, Alan mentioned before, the United Nations have, have decided that they're uh, going to be the, the masters of starvation, if you like, and um, basically ration out food based on population, and uh, the governments will just have to cut the populations by any means, uh, which happen to be at their disposal at the time. Um, so we were talking during the break about the, the farmers and the, the fact that uh, the Particularly recently in Australia, the carbon tax has basically wiped out um, many farmers who basically aren't allowed to farm their own land anymore. And for numerous reasons, uh, some of it's been due to areas of special scientific interest or conservation or any other dubious scheme or, or, or plan or diktat that comes out of the United Nations. And um, it's it should be obvious to anybody, especially those in the farming community, when when they start hearing about coming food shortages, they should they should start looking at themselves because they've been bribed for well over 40 years now by the the European Union uh, not to grow any food. Um, when I was when I was staying in Ireland, I was surrounded by farmers, and I was the only one growing anything. Uh, all the fields around me were empty. There was maybe a few sheep, a few cattle, but uh, nobody was growing any crops whatsoever. And uh, I've moved down to England now. There's a, there's more of it being grown down here, uh, particularly wheat and uh, potatoes and things like that, the kind of staple foods. But um, in Scotland, there's, there's virtually nothing being grown uh, in, in vast areas of the countries. And uh, I was at uh, I was actually at a meeting, uh, which was supposedly to to try and uh, bring about some kind of political change when I was living in Ireland. And many of the people there were farmers. And I asked a simple question. I said, "What what are you guys going to do to to um, what are you prepared to sacrifice to to get things going and to start you know growing food again and all the rest of it?" And they basically turned around and said, "Oh, well, we can't afford it." So I basically walked out at that stage because there wasn't any point talking to them because they weren't prepared to give up their EU bribe. Um, is it the same thing going on in Canada, Alan? Are they being paid not to grow food there? Um, they, they have, yeah, they have uh, uh, for many years, in fact, too. Um, the government, the government, see, the government uh, uses wars to change everything. Again, Quigley talked about that. He said that the, one of the main side effects, and actually one of the main effects which they want uh, in, from war, major wars, is that it changes the cultures of both sides because government steps in and nationalizes so much. They get, they get into everything. 
and they got into farming since World War II, uh, in Britain especially, and they never let go with all of the different ministries and inspections and all the rest of it. But yeah, they started giving farmers the little bait. It's like just like the, the, the credit cards from the, the, the banks. They call them uh, uh, the bait, you know, mouse baits. And uh, or, and uh, same with farmers. Uh, we we can help you out with your taxes. You'll pay less tax if you do this. Once you start letting them dictate to you, then they come along and say, we'd rather not you not grow so much stuff this year because there's going to be an abundance in corn or wheat or whatever. And uh, now that we're, we're putting all our food together in the EU, uh, it's going to make it too cheap. And, uh, and the big companies will, won't profit so much. And that's why you had all the butter mountains and so on. They were dumping food in the, in, in the, the channel and so on to keep the prices up. So basically government is completely in bed. And this is what we've got to understand. Government is not your government. It hasn't been your whole life long. The government you have are, are really the men that, uh, especially the Royal Institute of International Affairs, these are the men they, they put in. And quite quickly said the same thing. There hasn't been a prime minister or a president uh, uh, elected by the people, actually elected by the people, uh, who serves the people since the late 1800s. And it doesn't matter about the rest of them. They're allowed to vie for power amongst themselves that the minor ones are coming up. But uh, the guys on top are always members of the same organization. And now we have the EU uh, with, it, with its European Council on Foreign Relations, and George Soros is at the top of that. Now, Soros pretends he's out to help the world, like they all do. I, whenever they say this, I, I, you know, I tell people to run in the opposite directions. But um, Soros, um, again, was involved in, in the wars in Europe and, and Kosovo and Yugoslavia. He was involved with Madeleine Albright and the guys from the World Bank and the IMF that already had it planned which uh, companies they were, they were going to steal from, from that country for the, and have it under their own corporations. They're all involved in this together. And so every side that seems to be out there opposing each other in the high levels is not. They're all working on the same agenda. And, and the rest of it is just to confuse us, basically. So food is a weapon. Never, never, never forget that food is a weapon. Anything which is a weapon is weaponized. Your, your food also is weaponized. And that was the whole thing to do with giving you um, the, the Monsanto seed uh, and the Rothschilds group as well. They've got their own version as well. There's a whole bunch of them out there. Um, that You have to go back every year to, to the master, basically. You're back in serfdom to the master for the seeds. And uh, rather than just collect your own seed, they've weaponized the food. They've poisoned the food. And I really mean that, literally. They have poisoned the food. The guys from Monsanto are a big part of the military-industrial complex. They were involved not just in Agent Orange, but in many other forms of killing whole populations. And when I see scientists coming together to improve your potato, I get a bit nervous. The same scientists. And uh, now they dose it with their own pesticides that gets into the cell in the plants. Uh, you're eating that stuff. And, uh, and you wonder why the cancer rate is, is, is going sky high. This is all predicted by them before they started. They knew what they were going to do. So you've got to get back to natural farming if you can. But that means that the farmer's got to have the right to tear up every, uh, every demand made by government that's been put upon him so he can start being a farmer on his own land and growing what he wants once again and doing it the way he wants once again. But once they take the, the bait from government, oh, we'll help you, we'll give you tax relief or we'll give you little grants. No, I'm sorry, you're sold out, you've lost the farm.
Yeah, I think, um, you know, I mean, I, I spoke to quite a few farmers in Ireland and they were all of the same mind. Oh, we, we, we love the land. You know, we've always done this. This is our, this is our life, you know. And I would say to them, but you're not farming anymore. You're filling in paperwork. You're not, you know, you're not growing anything. I said, you know, what, when, he, when, he, what's, um, what are your, you know, what are your children going to do? What are your sons going to do? Are they farmers? Oh no, no, they're they're working on the building sites or they're, you know, they're doing computers or something else. So there's no there's no lineage of um, farming tradition being passed on either. So obviously, obviously there there aren't going to be farmers in the future anyway. That that's right. See, all that stuff that's second nature to the farmer, uh, he's grown up doing it. Uh, it's stuff you could cram into whole volumes, like an encyclopedia set. Uh, he's taken up for granted because he grew up on the farm. All you need is to break it for one generation and it's gone. You've lost your power to even feed yourself. Something as primal as feeding yourself you have lost. So who's in charge of it now? The big boys who've now got, not, not have they only got you under their money system. Now they've, now they've got you under their food rationing system and what kind of food you're going to eat and where from and all the rest of it. This is weaponized. This is part of warfare. Same with the water supply. When you see them going after your food and your water, the most basic things, you're in a war. And you better realize that this is what this is about. This is a war. Because these are the things that kill you off or get you to your knees. You can't allow them to do this. Yeah. Yep. They've gone after the air as well, of course. But, um, if, I, if I'm allowed just to on, Brian. Um, slip a thing in... Um, <clears throat> Uh, again, I agree, agree with everything that's um, being discussed about the plan that's underway and control of the food and poisoning of the water. If you come back to your farmers, they, I'm going to, I'm going to say, well, it's a rhetorical question, but they, they didn't, I don't think that they met in a pub one day and decided not to grow food. What actually happened was that um, officials appeared on the scene with paperwork and brochures and attractive offers that if they let so many acres or refuse to use, use hectare, so, so many acres were left um, fallow, then they could start to draw on the European money. So these very big, powerful families, in order to try and take control of the food supply, had to use what I will call the command and control system which came down through national government and then it came into the agencies, um, DEFRA or whatever its, its, its equivalent is in Ireland. And from there, the directives on what should and shouldn't happen and what could and couldn't happen with food production. Then that came in through even local council level until um, basically the information was brought to the farmers and then they started to realize well we don't have to work so hard because we can just suck off the european money but the only way that these immensely powerful families could get their plan to interfere with food production working was to actually use people through a whole chain of command within the public sector and i'm going to say that if i look at a way of destabilizing what's what's happening we, we simply, and I use that word deliberately, we simply have to break that command and control structure so that the nonsense and the politics and the directives and the red tape and the legislation, which is all being 
rained upon farmers, the subject in this case, that we actually we actually break that. We give them an umbrella. Now, when can we do that? Or when can we do this? I think we can do it. We can do it now. Neil was trying to do it some time ago. But the reason it wasn't working was because the farmers weren't hungry enough. And I think that if we're going to do something about what's happening, timing is very, very important. Because as we've all learned, if, if we try and pass the, the message and get the exposure happening too early, people are too warm, comfortable, well-fed and enjoying their foreign holidays to want to listen. So we need people to become a bit hungrier than they are and we need them to become a bit more disturbed than they are in order to be fertile ground for our message. But that is approaching very, very quickly. And then the timing issue says that we have to be very, very um, clever at choosing the moment at which we interfere with these control structures. The moment enough local people refuse to pay their taxes, they are in control of the local authority. The moment enough farmers simply say, no, we're not following the DEFRA guidelines, they are in control. So the control can switch sides very, very quickly, but we have to choose our moment. You're right, timing. And I think uh, Alan alluded to organisation earlier as well. I think if, you, if you're going to you know, challenge the farmers to, to kind of stand up and, and start you know, doing what, you know, what their job is, basically, and take a bit of uh, responsibility for feeding the public, which, which you know, that is, that is their tradition uh, through their families and the generations. Yeah, it's a system, it's the very system that got us through the so-called Great Depression. We're in a worse one now actually coming up, at least on paper. But uh, there were farmers all over the place at one time, and uh, locals could go down to the farms and trade something off and get some food or eggs or whatever, and I'm sure you've got it in Britain, uh, where you, if you rear your own uh, chickens anymore, now now the government inspector comes in to see if you can sell them to the public. And they're closing down all these places across Canada right now, uh, unless you get them government inspected. Uh, and that means, by the way, that's not a man coming in the door and wanting to look at your eggs. You have to build him a building uh, that's sterile. And he can come in and have a shower and put on his lovely, lovely white suit and his rubber boots, white rubber boots, and go and inspect your eggs. Well, of course you cannot. It's, meant, it's not meant that you can comply. It's meant that you, it's impossible for you to comply. You just go under until you have nothing left but the big uh, farm, the huge, those huge farm uh, monstrosities they have for the chickens where they can't move more than a foot, you know. Uh, this is the agenda. This is all deliberate. It's not by accident. The bee uh, uh, people across Canada, same thing happened with them too. They have to build a building, same idea, hot water and uh, disinfectant trough that the guy walks through after he's showered and put on his gear uh, so they can look at your honey. Then you have to buy the spinner to get the honey out uh, of the combs uh, that's got to be made out of stainless steel. Nothing else will do. All the old stuff cannot be used. 
and it'll cost you multi-thousands to buy that. And then you've got to be on the ball when he comes in uh, and inspects you and so on. I mean, they're putting all the small guys out, and that's the bottom line. Same across the U.S. is happening. So whatever happens, well, this, is, this is what I saw back in the 70s even. Uh, I, I traveled an awful lot across the world. And I'd hear a law getting passed in Britain, and then I'd hear the same law getting passed in Norway this, a week later, then in Denmark, then in Germany, and then I, you go across to Australia. And then I realized that each law it was coming out in your regular news, and you would say, well, that's our news. It's only ha-. You never even think it's happening elsewhere. And that's the trick, too, that they use. They don't tell you this is a global, <laughs> these are global laws we're passing. They've been doing this since at least the 70s and probably before. Yeah. But the- because um, I was talking to somebody today, and uh, the, the farmers around here, they've grown wheat and potatoes, as I said, and they've left maybe, you know, four metres around each field just to, to grow wild, to grow the, the wild flowers and stuff to attract the bees. But uh, I, I could probably count on both hands the amount of bees I've seen this summer. I've, I've not seen one wasp anywhere at all. And um, going back to the honey, uh, the, <laughs> the European Union, uh, I, I, I was in Eastern Europe, and um, I got... Um, 25 kilos honey, and I brought it back. But the the legislation is you're only you're only allowed to bring one kilo, and um, for your own for your own use. And uh, I was I was speaking to the the guys who you know they, they produce honey in the in the back garden, and uh, the guy says to me I can, I can give you as much as you want, but I can't give you any paperwork. And I says why not? And he says because I've got to sell it to this guy down here, who's who's a mafia guy, because they've got all the they've got all the quotas, and and the European Union gave them all the quotas. Yeah. And, and they have to sell it to them at a certain price, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So you know that there is this this myth that the European Union was all about competition and the free trade, and I mean it's just it's just put shackles on the farmers and you know the beekeepers and, and anybody trying to produce anything, and and, and trade it on an, on an equal basis. There, there is no level playing field for these guys, and the same goes for like small business. We have the you know business rates and all the rest of it just going sky high. And all the legislation, I mean, I, I was in a, a small cafe in Ireland, and it was the same thing there. They said, you have to put stainless steel in, blah, 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 until I complained about it, and I refused to do it, and they went away. I mean, you know, when you when you stand up to them, they, they don't bother you that much. But um, people just comply. They just they just go along with it all. It's incredible. <laughs> and, they, and they wonder how they go out of business. Yeah, they, they expect you to adapt and adapt and adapt. And because it's a little bit here and a little bit there, most folk actually do subconsciously. They don't, they don't reason through it. They just adapt into it, hoping, we live in hope. We hope things will get better or we'll hope that the guys at the top will realize that what they're causing with all this legislation is making it hard for us. We still think, I mean, most folks still think that they're decent people at the top. And they've just made a mistake and they'll, they'll fix it when they see it's not working. No, this is a very clever agenda and they know exactly what they're doing at the top. Yeah. Yeah. See, this world of interdependence, interdependence Maggie Thatcher went on and on and on about. And uh, uh, interdependence literally means that not only do you have no nation state anymore, it means, it means that you have no independence Interdependence means you will be dependent for everything you need to survive. Food, shelter, water, uh, clothing, heat. You will be dependent for everything you need to survive and live uh, on the system. And that's what it means. That's what interdependence means. That's why they're cracking down on folk in, in the States who are growing vegetables in their garden 
and can and in estates basically that that they're they're saying you can't do that you know you can grow flowers you can grow dandelions and but you can't grow vegetables you must be dependent on the system this is it's power yeah, and they're going after the most basic things of life yeah there was a there was a case here recently I think I think you might have actually linked it up on your site of the couple down in Dover I think it was who were who yeah, bought yeah. who bought the uh, four acres I think it was. And they planted the vegetables. They had their own well. Uh, they had their own source of power. And they, of course, the Agenda 21, they, they, c- they couldn't be allowed to do that. I mean, that's that's an example to everybody of how how it can be done. So we can't uh, we can't have the public uh, realizing they don't need us. So uh, we had to throw them off the land, put them in, put them in council house, and uh, put them on benefits. Yes. So, and so I mean, the, the whole you know, if, if you want to go green, and these these people wanted to go green, uh, I'm sure they were into that whole ideology. Actually and the thing is, next year, 2012, is the next part of the big hammer because the first lot came from the, the Earth Summit meeting in 1992. Uh, so next year is the, the, the big one, Maurice Strong, the Rockefellers, as they redesign the whole system and bring part two along, which uh, will be completely totalitarian. The first part was it gave all the rights to animals and insects and none to people. None to people. You have no rights in it. And uh, the part two is coming along where they're going after the water, and out of that will come the redistribution of the world's food supply through the United Nations. That's what they've already mentioned that. You know. So y- your tax money has been thrown across the planet. Uh, your food now will go get thrown across the planet. And uh, it, it doesn't look good. And we've got to stop uh, all this nonsense. As far as I'm concerned, if they, get, if they keep claiming with all that, that we're just another animal, then I want the same rights as an animal. I don't see a rabbit here getting told to get off the land. You don't eat that lettuce there. Uh, I don't see uh, uh, any animal being told, uh, oh, no, you can't uh, sit here and do that there or do that or even poop in your own garden. I mean... <laughs> They poop anywhere. But the fact is, you see, we have no rights at all. We are so legislated into uh, the ground uh, that we've got to start pushing off, as Brian says, these layers and layers and layers of bureaucracies and government officials that are involved in every aspect of your life. That's what you've got to do. You've got to start regaining it again. And they're not going to be pleased and they're not going to be uh, uh, let it go easily either. Uh, but uh, we've got to do it. This is—we're talking about survival here. Absolutely. This—this is—this is the the key bit talking about survival. And I've got to say that if I go back to my early days when I I, I saw only a, a or I knew only a fraction of what I know now, and I saw only a tiny part of the picture, but I knew that there was something very nasty on its way. And in a couple of my early talks, and I was. I'm going to say misguided enough at that stage to be involved with with UKIP in its early days because I I believe that uh, that party was actually trying to challenge Europe, which I'm now convinced it's not under the leadership of Mr Farage. But um, um, I started to tell the truth about what I knew. And I remember one talk that I gave and a, a man at the back said to me, you know, Brian, you've you've described all of the, all of this stuff. What do these people want to do? And the answer I gave was they want to kill us. And there was this stunning silence in the room. And then a couple of people said to me, "Do you really mean that?" And I said, "I mean it absolutely." 
And from that moment on, not only did the conversation in the room change, so it lost its sort of flippant, casual attitude and it started to become serious, but it, it taught me something. And I kept going with giving people information and using the right words because one of the one of the worst things that that's been done to us is um political correctness which is incredibly dangerous it's it's not nonsense which some people talk about political correctness is control of our language and if our language is controlled the way we think is controlled and it is amazing what has started to happen now that people are actually using the right language in relation to what we're fighting. So we're finally beginning, for example, to hear uh, members of parliament and judges described as criminal. We're, we are hearing people freely talking about Blair or Brown or, Ca or Cameron being war criminals. It's just they need to be brought in front of the courts. So the moment we use the right language, we're actually we're doing something very powerful to regain our territory. And if we come back to the farmer with the, the chickens, initially for that man, uh, what, what he came up against to him was red tape, and he would have regarded it as nonsense, but it was causing him problems, and he found it difficult to fight it. If he was told that actually what was being um, conducted was a campaign to actually stop him eating permanently, it starts to focus the mind. And I, I think that that we, in the broadest sense, and as everybody that's out there doing something, one of the things they must do is start using the real language. These people, what do they want to do? They want to kill us. It's all in the documentation. Um, if you choose the basic bit of reducing world population to 500 million, that means there's a big problem for most of us. But I think one phrase really captures what they're trying to do, and that is reduce the carbon footprint. Because it was Mike Robinson from UK Column who said to me quietly one day, he said, you know, Brian, I think that the carbon footprint is us, is mankind. And I think this is absolutely what it is. We are carbon. We breathe it. We produce it. And now we've got carbon somebody saying... We're carbon-based life forms. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've now got somebody saying we want to get rid of the carbon footprint. They're saying that actually they want to murder us. That's the correct word. And I, I consistently find with audiences that if you use the right language, you might get somebody who scoffs and walks out, but the rest of them start to pay attention to what you're talking about. They may, they may be quiet because you've actually got them a bit frightened, but we need to do this with, a, with, with some people to get them motivated. But I want to ask you a question, if I may, and that's we're talking about these people. Who do, who do you think the real problem people are who are they and what do you think motivates them why have they got a different agenda to the one that a normal person would have that's the the, the well we know basically by the ones who come forward uh, at least in the limelight of the of the public across the world uh, that they go uh, that number one they start off incredibly rich they've already got wealth 
they're, they are all families. Uh, they all have backgrounds in their families of uh, high economics and, and very often uh, dealing with national or international money lending, not, not just little banks on the corner, but literally lending to nations and doing the books of nations. In other words, they own the nation via the, 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 their private banks, their private lenders. Uh, we know that about them. Uh, we also know that many of their relatives actually, using different names, are put into top positions of power in politics. Very good at changing their names. Have, have a look at Cameron's ancestry. It's interesting. And uh, they all also belong to the same organizations, as I say. It's either all Institute of International Affairs or it's a Council on Foreign Relations or the European Council on Foreign Relations or, or the Institute for Pacific Relations is that other branch for the Far East, uh, so at, at which was started up in the early 20th century, that part, to, to, and the purpose to integrate the Far East by this organization. And again, it quickly documents all that stuff. But the thing is, um, uh, getting back to political correctness and what you can say and what you cannot say. Now, you've got to look into the Frankfurt School to understand who was behind it. The Frankfurt School was a university they set up in Germany. Uh, it appeared, and people get very confused with this term communism because it's been so misdiagnosed uh, uh, in so many places. It's got many fronts as well. Uh, even the people who are ardent followers of it on the low levels have no idea of what it really, really is. But the, the Frankfurt School was, was set up. They, they ran out of Germany when Hitler came in. And they went to the United States and Britain. And these guys were specialists using psychology, which tells me again the depth of, of, of national and people's psychology that they understood. It's way beyond Freudian terms. This is very old science, obviously. But they, their job was to ex- examine the cultures of each nation and simply adjust the perception of each nation to accept this same agenda of globalism, with a, a, an elite, an intellectual elite running the whole show and getting the public to accept it. And they would do that by looking at each culture and then taking over the culture industry within each nation. And this is all documented stuff if you look up Frankfurt School. And uh, a slightly different one for the U.S. Uh, Britain, again, a slightly different one for them. And uh, they ran the BBC, by the way. They still do. And uh, at one time you couldn't get into the BBC for, for a job on any position unless you came from Eton. And uh, in the 1960s, the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council of Foreign Relations from the States and all the other branches from Canada, Australia, New Zealand, India even, met in London. It was mainstream. And they were talking about bringing in a global culture in about 1964. And the, that's what the meeting was all about. And, this, and the, their big problem was, would they use Britain to, to spearhead the cultural change? Or would they use the United States and Hollywood and their massive programs? It took them two weeks to decide that they would use American culture, which was their culture, by the way. It's not American at all. Everything in America has been given by the same Bernard-type uh, characters that worked with these institutions and the Frankfurt School. Now, Theo Adorno was one of the biggest players 
very interesting man, an utter contemptuous elitist, because he, he actually said that very few people would have the intellect to understand his writings in his own book. You know. He took over the culture industry mainly for, the, for Britain. He financed a lot of the, the, the groups that broke through in the 60s to the top. He also was a, a, a pretty well a genius in music. That was a sideline of his. Friend, great friend of the Queen. Um, friendly with the, with the, uh, the London Philharmonic uh, uh, Orchestra. And he did definitely write a lot of the stuff for the top groups in Britain as they came out with the, the raging 60s and, and, the, and the sexual liberation and all that stuff. Just do it, do it in the road like the Beatles song, all that stuff. Uh, and, and the drugs came in at the same time. So much drugs were, sacks of drugs were thrown over university walls for free. By limos, <laughs> just passing by, you know, get the whole thing kicked off. Every culture has had his, his, his head spun around by the culture industry. Now, Theo Adorno says we must degrade each culture, degrade them, until they have no past to look back on. Uh, it says we must degrade them and down through all the sexual immorality we can cause. It says including, event, we'll know when we've achieved our goal when we get, when we get to necrophilia as the norm. So here you have a, a bunch of people who worked with another group called the Macy Group. Bertrand Russell was part of both of them and a lot of other big players. Lord, Lord Bertrand Russell, who would use a, a form of socialism to guide this through. And you don't understand what they mean by socialism. Socialism to them is the, the, the scientific domination of all society to reshape the world, to, to remake all that was left imperfect and make it perfect. That's what they say at their meetings. And they're talking about us. We're, we're a natural elite. They claim they're the natural elite and intellect, intelligentsia should rule our lives in a proper function. It's just too scattered right now. It's just all dysfunctional. In other words, totally controlled society is what they mean by uh, correcting society. Now, the Macy group that worked with with uh, the Frankfurt School was given, again, they all fled out of Germany again, just before Hitler came in, uh, met in, in New York, and Russell came over, Adorno and all the rest of them. And their job again was how to radically alter, completely radically alter all that was held to be dear in the Americans' lives. That was independence, personally, personal independence especially. And how they could wear them down bit by bit and again degrade the culture uh, through all kinds of sexual immorality until standard fare of entertainment would be perversion. We have that. We've lived through that this year. And how they would gradually uh, show that the state, through, through movies and all the rest, that the state was in charge. Now you don't get the lone cow, cowboy riding in town cleaning up. Now you get the, the SWAT teams and, and, and CSI and you, and you get uh, um, the FBI and counterterrorism squads and, and lots of faceless guys in black outfits like Star Wars. Uh, that's how they've changed it until everyone's obedient to the system and afraid of that system. And the Macy Group was given authority to exist in perpetuity and to change the culture of America by President Truman. This is in their own records, if you look them up. This is in their own records. We think, see, the average person, you're born into it. You say, well, 
why would you have a, and I realized this when I was only seven, because uh, I, I used to listen to the Moscow radio, and it had a, a Department of Culture that would come out and announce itself, the Department of Culture. Then I looked into Britain and it said, British Department of Culture. Canada, Canadian Department of Culture. I thought, what, what, why would your government have a Department of Culture if you people collectively are the culture? It was set up to change the culture. And the Department of Culture decides what you're going to be see, see on television and how they're going to grade you through it. The Department of Culture is where you get your, all your political correctness from. They hire authors by the thousands. I think every author in Canada gets a grant from the Department of Culture. Now, the only way you can get the grant, and I've seen the forums for it here, even music as well, and music as well, it, it says, it says, uh, you must, you must be t- aiming, you must aim to radically alter the culture in order to qualify for this government grant. Then they give you a list of things either to sing about or if you're a novelist to write about and insert in your writings. Or if you're a cartoonist, in the cartoons. That's why you got cartoons complaining that the, the older folk destroyed society by consuming too much. You're all getting paid to do that by your, your governments. Hello? Is that okay? Hello? Hello? Hello. We're just going to a bit of music now, I think. And we'll come back. Come back to that. Okay. Okay, cheers. Join Sovereign Independence.com Radio on icradionetwork.com every Monday at 7 p.m. UK time. Breaking the truth. Welcome back to Sovereign Independent Radio. Uh, we still have Alan Watt on the line from Cutting Through the Matrix, and I think Brian Gerrish is still there from the UK column. Uh, just a, a quick reminder that we're actually going to be running overtime tonight uh, because we have Tony Farrell, the ex-police uh, intelligence analyst, um, who was sacked for um, publicly stating that uh, he thought 77911 were all orchestrated by elements of their respective governments. So he'll be on it at about 9 o'clock. Um, we're talking to Alan during the break there about a number of issues. Uh, one of them was the the health service, uh, another one was how, as, as mentioned earlier, we have the internet, but there's uh, there's so much on there and things put specifically in there to distract and uh, lead you off into all sorts of weird and, and wacky directions to basically divert you from what you really should be looking at, and that's provable facts on a number of issues, really, and, and we really should be focused on those. Uh, the other the other thing we were going to hit on uh, briefly was the the element of Satanism that's involved in this whole agenda by these creeps. I think that's the only word for them at the top. Who who whether whether the general public believe in in Satanism or any any other for, form of ism, whatever these these guys do, and and they act out their fantasies or personal. Uh, indulgences, whatever you want to call them, perversions, uh, as and when they see fit. Uh, so I was, I was talking to Alan there about uh, the donor card system in Britain because I was talking to somebody the other day there uh, who had one and, and thought it was a great thing. And I was I was pointing out to them that um, if they were lying on the bed next to somebody uh, who needed the same operation as them, uh, and Alan mentioned that the doctor may be looking at the guy with the donor card and and saying, well, you know, his, his, his kidneys are good, they'll be worth a few bob, his liver's good, they'll be worth a few quid as well. So we'll treat this other guy and we'll just uh, we'll just harvest these organs from this other person. 
because they've got a donor card and they've, uh, they've agreed to give us their body, basically. Um, the, the health service in Britain and, and in Ireland as well uh, are a complete disaster, Alan. Um, I'm sure you've heard. And, uh, you know, there's people dying on trolleys and corridors and all sorts of horrors. Um, I don't know what it's like in Canada. Is it, is it similar or, or worse, maybe? Uh, oh, yeah, they're slashing it here. I mean, and, and then outside the major cities, here's a key too. Back in the, the 1980s, uh, both in Britain and Canada, across the whole, what they call the Commonwealth, uh, they started at the same time uh, cutting out and, and closing down all the old rural hospitals because they knew the agenda. We won't need these folk in the future because no one will live in the rural areas. This is how far ahead they plan. Uh, and sure enough, they closed them all down. Now, where I am here in Sudbury, you got walk-in clinics uh, where you might spend the whole day uh, sitting with a card like a cow with, with a number. It's not stuck in your ear, but it could be. Uh, and, uh, and then you wait for them to call your name. Uh, you'll see a doctor who won't sit down. You, you can't sit down either, generally. Uh, they just want you to stand up with a prescription and say, what do you want? And, and you're at the door. And that's it. It's just one after but Ten seconds per, per, per person. That's how much you see them for. They don't know who you are. They, 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 they don't know your, your history, family history, nothing. And they don't care to know either. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rock bottom uh, and of course the cancer waiting lists here is, 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 is sky high uh, and uh, and basically you can't get ordinary operations. Up until recently, by the way, if, if you wanted to change your sex, that was okay. That was done very quickly on the national on the health service. But you couldn't get in if you had something vital, some vital operation. You had to go on the waiting list and maybe be six months to a year or two years, you know. So they're slashing it back here. But Britain is a flagship for every new introduction that society will accept. If they'll accept it in Britain, they'll accept it anywhere. That's what I've noticed. And uh, so we always get what you put the, the introduce there after, after it's worked for them. And uh, that's always been the way of it. Britain is definitely the flagship. And, and it surprised me initially, too, uh, many years ago when I saw the, the British people just accepting one hammer blow after another. I couldn't. I thought, what's happened to these people? Something's happened to them. Because... Uh, uh, it's not like the, that in their, their history and their culture, their heritage, just to take it and take it. So I, I think we've all been dumbed down, no doubt, educational-wise, and no doubt through the food as well. But to be honest with you, uh, when you went to Bertrand Russell, member of the Macy Group, the Frankfurt School, uh, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, he went to all their scientific meetings, he also said by use of um, laws uh, and, and, and food, meaning altering the food, and the injections, he says, we shall get the desired population very docile and obedient. So they've been doing it. I have no doubt they've been doing it. Uh, there's too much evidence out there to do uh, with, the, with the polio vaccine, for, for example. Dr. Sock, who came up with the polio vaccine in the 50s, uh, was a member of the British and American Eugenics Society. He was the highest member. And every paper that he wrote up until that vaccine, every paper was about the need to drastically and quickly reduce the population of these countries, Britain, America, and every other country. And suddenly he turns around with a vaccine to help you fight polio. Now, to be honest with you, you go into the history of polio, and it was hyped up through that time Path News. Very few folk had television. And they kept showing you, just like the mad cow disease with the same one cow walking across the barn uh, the yards, uh, they kept showing you the one little boy in an iron lung, and everyone was horrified. 
it, it is polio. And they all rushed to get it. Uh, afterwards, you didn't get polio. They just named it encephalitis and, and meningitis. You know. It's still there. So what did they really inject into you? Well, it's out there even up on YouTube, the guys who worked with them. And a documentary where Salk himself says, yeah, we knew there was cancer viruses in, in this. And the simian 40 virus only has one function, and that's to cause cancer. This is from the horse's mouth. But he said that we thought that the, the, the benefits outweighed the risks. And meanwhile, that generation's all di- dead or dying of cancer. Now, these guys don't make these kind of mistakes, and especially when it comes from a guy who's the head of the eugenics society, for, who advocates drastic, rapid depopulation. So, you have that aspect. Now, getting back even earlier, you got to understand that they created this idea. The fastest way to uh, standardize a, a system, bureaucratic, education, financial, and so on, the fastest way is to introduce communism. And that's what Lenin's job was to do. All those countries went under the Soviet system, became standardized, and you go from one to the next, and regardless of, of basically the change in, in, uh, in accent or, or, or vocabulary or whatever, uh, it was the same system. And now they are the same system. Now, now, now they're fit to be democratic, as they call it. Join the rest of us poor suckers. But uh, Lenin said, initially, he said, in the West, we shall set up services. Now we forget that your police service is a service. A service, you can either say, I want that or I don't want that. And, and at one time, you, towns would kick out their cops if they found out they were crooked or whatever. Uh, so that was a service. The health service was something you could either use or, or walk away from. They had no authority. But Lenin, Lenin said that these services will eventually become the authorities over the people. And now you've got child, children's aid and all the rest of it, snatching children, blah, 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 all that stuff. Uh, oh, yeah, you, you can't get into school without your shots. It's all used. So they're all authorities now, you understand. These are the real reasons that things are introduced, not never to help the people. There's only one agenda here, you know, and it's a totalitarian agenda. And when we go into um, the guys at the top, there's so many instances of the utter perversions at the top. Because remember, it's like Alastair Crowley said, he says, do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. At that level, they, they, could, they believe they could do whatever they want. They're above any law. Technically, they are as well. And, and actually, factually, they are above any law. We've had so many guys in the House of Lords uh, with their perversions in the mainstream, for goodness sake. Uh, and uh, I won't even go into it, but, but the fact is they get off with it. Because at that level... Uh, Whatever religion they have is do what they wilt. You don't have to believe in a deity. Some of them will actually say they believe in the Lord of the world. Uh, and they can take that two ways. They could be an utter atheist and say it. They believe in whatever force gives you the right to be rich and powerful and an overlord, basically, over others. Uh, the, the other, some of them are more into an actual real religious meaning of it. The Lord of the world is Satan. Uh, because it's, a sat- it's from Saturday, right? Satan, of course. But, uh, yeah. And, and so you, you have, you have, um, you have t- the two ways you can take it. That's why there's a, both atheists and, and a, a, a smaller selection of dedicated believers in it who, who believe that law is a religion. 
You understand? Law is the religion. Everything is done through law. And even when they're doing something terrible to the public, they'll make the law to, to allow themselves to do it. You know, they'll always make the law to allow themselves to do it. So one way or another, they're utterly legalistic. They tend even to, to tell you what they're, they're going to do next. It's just that the people don't really want to believe it, or they can't believe it. Nobody would do that. Well, they do. And, and, and then you're left with, you know, at the end, flattened once again by these people. But yeah, they're, they're absolutely legal. That's a train gone by, by the way. That's the, that's the, the, the coast to coast, uh, Pacific Railroad going <laughs> past with all the Chinese goods coming into Canada. But anyway, um, at that level, as I say, they're, they're, they're absolutely devout followers. And, and when you see some of them, I mean, like Madeleine Albright is a great example. I mean, she, McCarthy was right. He said the first place they must take over is the State Department, which they had long before he realized that. And, uh, and then she, of course, was, was in the State Department for a while at the head of it. She's the one who quite happily said on television uh, that uh, when she said, well, you've already killed about half a million women and children here by starvation through embargoes. Is it worth it? It's actually over a million, you know. But uh, she was asked, do you think it was worth it? And she said, with no expression at all, no hesitation, she says, absolutely. She's not talking about people, you understand. To her, those aren't people. The only people she's talking about that matter are the ones like her, herself, a special, special very, very special people. And uh, and then I saw her uh, on a great documentary on Yugoslavia when they worked out how they were going to plunder the country and give themselves the right to go and bomb it all, uh, and doing the same damn thing to that country. And there she's up on the board of NATO right now, a private army as far as I'm concerned. They're using it for private functions. Uh, and purposes of plundering countries and giving it to their their buddies, all they're looting the countries, and we're watching it happen. Uh, these people have no conscience. They have some way of recognizing uh, or, or believing that someone is the same as themselves, um, and they have absolute contempt, utter contempt, for everyone else. You're you're not a being. Right down to the medical service where they're selling your body parts, for goodness. I knew this years ago this would come. And I spoke about it years ago, you know. I said abortion, number one, uh, is going back to the ancient so-called paganistic times. Um, and it's been brought back under the guise of science. But when you're training a generation of women to kill their own offspring, you better be very afraid of what's going on here. Very afraid. Because it's, you're talking about the end of who knows many thousands or millions of years of generations of you. <laughs> that, that, that all becomes you in the end. And they've trained the women to think it's just like getting rid of a wart. That's the terms that they use here. You know, uh, When you see that, and that's not good enough there. No, no, they've got to sell the spinal cord off for about $5,000 to some university or some scientist to, to twiddle with. And then they'll sell the brain off somewhere else. Then they'll sell the rest off to the pharma companies so that they can culture their new bacteria and viruses on that they're going to inject into your body, which technically is a form of cannibalism. When you're eating each other, you don't have to use your mouth to consume another person. We don't even recognize what's happening because we don't, 
Our perceptions are distorted. They give us, they tell us how to perceive things. You've got to stand back and say, how, how should I perceive this? And you'll see it for what it actually is. So even once we're dead, for goodness sake, we're worth money to them. We, we are farmed. We're farmed. We're, we're farm animals. And when they claim there's too many, they can't get profit from you, they cull you off. When, they, when they've got wars planned for a century, they build you up and tell you, go ahead and breed. And they leave you alone. This is, a, this is a, an old technique used down through many, many centuries. And we've got to understand. But the biggest thing of all is economics. Everyone relies on that currency no matter what it is. Uh, the fact is, as long as we all accept it, we build the machines, we build the tanks that they'll eventually turn loose on you in the streets. And we're all dependent on this currency. And yet every country has the right to mint and print its own currency and sell it to the banks. That's what the Bank of Canada did all through the Great Depression, right through the 30s, right through World War II. The Bank of Canada was a real bank. They printed its own money and coined its own own, own, own mint, and they put it out in circulation. They sold it to the banks. That paid for the the cost of it all, and uh, the banks then mortgaged it out to the peoples and lent it to the peoples. The rest of it was used through building projects, roads, and so on. But we were debt-free all through the Great Depression. And from Britain and all the other countries that already were under the private banking system, the borrowing from international boys, they all came to Canada to see how it was done. And, of course, that's when the big bankers says, we've got to change this system. And they certainly did over the years, and Trudeau was the last one uh, they got in. And now we, we're like everyone else. We're up to our eyes in debt, borrowing from private bankers with in fact, the Canadian dollar is, is actually printed in Germany now. So, um, it, you know, money, this, this whole idea of money, it, it, this is their key. They have no power without it. They'd lose all their power without their currency in circulation. And, uh, yeah, that, that's the key to it all. Uh, that has to be abolished, that system, because look at the, the taxes that are raised in every single country. It's phenomenal. Now, no one can tell me you can't live within your means with that kind of tax coming in. But what they're doing with the tax money, or they're putting it into research and development for private corporations, or they're throwing it across the world for more corporations to build their factories somewhere else and exploit some other country. Um, it's all going abroad or into pockets, and that's the bribe force as well. Um, everyone is born with a, and you live with, with basic fears. Uh, one is p- fear of poverty. In this system, you have a fear of poverty. Uh, you, you have p- fear of getting sick and being unable, unable to get attended to or having medical care. Uh, a whole bunch of fears come from this thing. But the main one is fear of poverty. So much so, they can create a, a, people who are uh, addicted to accumulating money, even amongst the ordinary people. That, that, that's, a, that's a perversion in itself. So we have a perverse system that creates perversion. Uh, but everyone will go to work for it. The cop that will bash you on the head or kill you uh, will tell you, just like the Nazis or the communists did, um, uh, I'm only doing my job. I was told to do it. It's all to do with this paycheck thing. It has to be stopped, and you, you will get nothing done until there's a, you have, you're, you're making your own currency for your own people, and a new system is hammered out. It, nothing, nothing is going to change here. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Gumsey has a, a system uh, where... They, they, they do that. They, they print their own currency and uh, 
for infrastructure projects or something, and, and they, they tell the people they're going to raise the taxes to recoup that money, and then when it's recouped, they, they put the taxes down again, and that seems yeah. to work yeah. fairly well, you know. Uh, but nobody's yes. nobody's looking at that and saying, well, here you go, this works, you know. But um, sticking sticking with the uh, you know solutions, I suppose we've only got a few minutes left. Um, you said earlier, and and, and it's, it's absolutely true that these guys are not going to stop unless we we make them stop. And Brian was alluding to the fact that you know the more exposure, the better. Uh, will out these people, and you know, I think I think we can get at the people that are have put up there as the leaders, like the Camerons and the Cleggs. And once they fall, we have to keep going and, and go for the next layer and the next layer, and keep peeling the layers. And you have to go into their histories. It's like the Miliband brothers. You've got to find out who the Miliband brothers were. Uh, when one of them was over in Russia giving a talk on radio, his aunt phoned him and gave her whole family history on the air. And then the, the, their father was sent over to Britain to teach communism in university, you know. Uh, communism meshes perfectly well with this monetary system and this agenda. That's why they like it. They, they, that's why they use it so much. Quick standardization of their system. Uh, so every, every, if you could look at the backgrounds of, of all the different people in power and find out who they really are here, because they, they do have certain things in common, and you've got to expose that. Getting back to political correctness, this is what comes into it. Uh, from uh, critical theory is, is the theory that, that the Frankfurt School came out with for, for political correctness. How do we train the public? And what it means is you must institutionalize the terms in society like global warming, uh, carbon taxes, uh, anthropogenic global warming especially, stuff like that. And, and also the things that you don't want them to talk about. And criti- it's, it's so simple, critical theory. It means everything that is anti your agenda uh, you must attack it and criticize it. That's what it all, that's all it means. Uh, but that's also going all the way up now to, to different laws so that you can't speak about certain people. I'm talking about individuals. Uh, because they'll, they'll jump on a bandwagon and hide behind something, a good screen or something, and can't go any further with them. Uh, we've got to go to the individuals and get their family histories because you'll find that they're tied together, intermarried so tightly. I'm talking about these rich multi-trillionaires here. Uh, and, and literally, they've got relatives across the planet doing the same darn thing. And they, they, wherever they go, uh, wherever they target, they bring the same system in of IMF for the United Nations, the World Bank, uh, and the Bank for International Settlements, which is to be the big, big bank that Quigley talks about. They talked about this as early as, as, as 1920, they would do that. And we're living through that phase now. So... Um, to be honest with you, as I say, money makes their world go around. They rule the money system and the finances. And now they pretty well own most of the resources now. That was another big part of their target, own all the resources of the world. Cecil Rhodes talked about that too. Um, we've got to start taking back power because and figure out how we're going to do it and what kind of system you're going to end up with as well. And even then, there's going to be factions starting fighting each other over what kind of system you bring in. Uh, you're not going to please everybody. But the thing is, until we all realize that we are being murdered, we're being set up to be starved to death as well. Uh, and uh, never mind all the inoculations and more in the new inoculations they want you all to have annually all through your life now. Uh, until we realize that uh, and start getting uh, moving and stop being so complacent and watching entertainment. Entertainment is the worst thing you can watch. You're being... You're being indoctrinated without even knowing it. 
So you've got to start reading uh, serious stuff because if you care about the people around you, if you care about your 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 your, your history, your, your your as I say, all the people that went before you to make you you, uh, that that's enough to to stand up and, and do something about because because otherwise we're all going to be vanquished and, and it will disappear into history and until the names are all gone, the people are gone, the the, the countries are all gone. The heritages are all gone. That's what they, they've actually said that's what they want. Until there's no remnant left, a trace of what was before. John Dewey said it when he came from the Frankfurt School to set up the educational systems for the West. He said eventually a generation will be born where they're taught no history of a race, a people, a country, or conflicts, or anything else. He says they'll know exactly what we want them to know. And that's almost here today. Well, some, somebody asked me just yesterday why, why I do what I do. Uh, because, you know, as, as you've said yourself, it's, it's not a job, it's not a hobby, it's, it's something that needs to be done. And, I, I, you know, I, I said simply, that, well, I've got a son, I've got a granddaughter, and I care about them, and, and that's it. You know, I mean, if, if, uh, if I don't do something, they're, they're not going to be able to, or they, or they won't be here at all, uh, one of the two. And, um, you know, I think we all have to start... You know, looking at ourselves and, and what's important I, to I us. I tell people too, I, I says, you're no different from the ones at the top. Uh, they might say that they're, they're special, uh, they're better. They, they might say they deserve to rule you, but that's their opinion. <laughs> you know, we're all born and we all come uh, and we all, we all go the same way. Uh, but, uh, but no one can stand up and say, oh no, see you're all rejects, you're all imperfect. And we don't need you anymore. You've fought all the wars for us. You've plundered the countries for us. Thank you very much. No, no, no. No, no. None of this getting back to the old caste system. It cannot happen. Uh, this is a caste system, really, you've got here. And it's got, it's got to be uh, basically pushed out the roads until the people start really believing that every life that comes in to, 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 to this existence here has as much right as to live and live its life in peace as well. And safety, as, as as anyone at the top, they have no right whatsoever to plan our individual lives, national lives, or the or the world's lives, and that's what they're sitting doing. That's what the United Nations is all about, in fact. And and so we've got to stop. Uh, we've got to point out who they are, the fact they're all elitists, they believe they're superior, and that we are inferior. This is not India. This is not the Brahmin system. And who would want that? But that's what we're seeing, basically, them trying to introduce is a, is a very similar thing to, to, to Brahminism. It's a caste system. And uh, no, it, it doesn't matter, as I say, who you happen to be, who you're born from. The fact is you have as much right to live in peace and safety without uh, worrying about what they're going to do to you next. And that's what folk do. What are they going to do next? They're talking about their governments. Nothing ever comes from government to help you anymore. It's, it's always another fear thing that's going to rob and plunder you. Um, this has all got to stop. And because we are, as Brian said, this is all about survival. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's life and death, and that's, that's as simple yeah. as it gets. And I think uh, we all have to start saying that little word called no, and uh, enough is enough, and uh, start fighting back in any way we can possible. Um, I realise you, you, you have to get on and uh, prepare for your own broadcast. Um, so yeah, I have to, I have to got a whole bunch of stuff to do today. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, thanks, for, thanks very much for your time. Uh, very generous. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks very much. Um, we'll, we'll maybe get you on in a couple of months or three months and do it all sure. again. Um, sure enough. Brian, Brian, you still there? Yes, I'm still here. Yep. yep. 
Yep. Do you want a quick question for us, Marlon Goes? Or just to say goodbye? I think I'm just going to say goodbye. It's been um, brilliant listening to um, all the topics that you've covered, and you've covered a lot. Um, so thank you very much for doing that. And, yeah, I look forward to another another meeting on the show. Yes, it's been a pleasure to be on. And uh, I did most of the talking here, but uh, but um, I'll have to, um, as I say, uh, correspond you with a bit more as well because – as I say, we're all in this together. We have no option. We have no option. That's the bottom line. We have no option but to do what we're doing. Yeah. And, and, and more the better, I think. Um, Absolutely. It, it, it's all of us. It's, we're all concerned here. Nobody, nobody can actually opt out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was at uh, a few. Uh, I was at three mosques in Edinburgh uh, when I was still living up there, and I spoke to the the imams of the mosques, and and all three of them were in agreement with me that. Um, we either stick together or we go down together, and uh, it's about time we all got together and, and sorted this out. That, that's that's really it. We all go down together, absolutely, because these guys have told us what their plans are. The public are so astonished they can't believe them. But we've got to start start believing these characters because they always do what they tell us. They're very legalistic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, thanks very much, Alan. And uh, as I say, we'll we'll get you back on again in a few months' time and uh, do it all again. Okay, you take care then. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye now.